Hello and welcome back to the My Entertainment World podcast. We're back with another episode of the nominee interview series for you this year, about half of which is happening on our podcast feed and the other half is happening on the website myentertainmentworld.ca. So be sure to go over there to check out all the other interviews. Today I'm speaking with Alistair McDonald, who is nominated for Outstanding Performance in the leading for a leading role in uh, Angels in America, that theater company's production at Buddies and Bad Times this December. Um, it's sort of he played prior. It's a legendary role, incredibly difficult. So it was really interesting to catch up with Alistair to find out all about that process and everything that went into playing this remarkable role and giving a remarkable performance. Uh, so I hope you enjoy the interview. I'll see you on the other side. So I always start with the same question, which is, can you remember your first experience with theater? Oh gosh, um, this is a complicated one because I grew up in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. So my access to theater wasn't, um, there wasn't, a, it wasn't very big. There wasn't a lot of opportunity to even see it. Um, so I guess my real, like the first real theatrical impact I had was I became obsessed with the movie Rent when I was in 11th grade and like growing up in a very Catholic town as one of the only, <laughs> you know, a semi out queer people at the time I was like holy f word like this movie blew my mind um and uh then by chance the town of Annie Ganesh where St. X University is was doing a production and I was a volleyball player at the time and I was supposed to go play at a university and I was like I think I'm gonna change enrollment and audition to be in rent and I got it and I played Angel right out of the gate at 18 years old. And that was kind of my first experience with theater. <laughs> cool. So then how did the role in Angels in America come about? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I saw Craig's posting for the uh, for the show, an audition call. And I've been wanting to play prior for a really, really long time. Um, I've always kind of when I really decided acting was going to be something that I was going to do with my life um, before I, I got into what is now called TMU, their acting program. Um, as soon as I saw the HBO version, I was just like, oh, I can, I can do that. Um, and I reached out to Craig and I was like, please see me. <laughs> I know probably every single actor in the city who could play it probably wanted to. So I just really tried to push for it. And uh, I was seen and I got it and I was so grateful. I'm so lucky I got to play that part. So Pryor is not only a huge role, literally, in that he's the lead of a two, of two three-hour plays, but he's also hugely complex. How did you approach like the size of the undertaking? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, I had... Uh, I had just come off shooting a movie and I had uh, a good amount of money for uh, the first time in my life to like take a couple months before we started rehearsals and just really dig deep into the script and into research. So I sat with a coach about three times a week, like it was my job, just like page for page going through under uh, uh, pointing out every reference Um from uh pop culture because the play is so full you know um i dove really deep into aids research because i 
I was uh, born in 1991. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm quite young to be tackling um, this material. And I wasn't really of age to understand and grasp what was really happening at the time. Um, although as a queer person, uh, I made it my duty growing up to really understand as well as I could, but like, just, I used the time to really research and to get in touch with people who are living with HIV or people who've, um, uh, unfortunately lost people in their lives with HIV and just talk to my queer elders about their experience. I, I read a lot of books, um, a lot of firsthand accounts, uh, just to really pay homage to that experience. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked really hard to just go in as um, uh, well prepared as I could, uh, as so I could just like kind of go as deep as I could right away. Cause there's just so much <laughs> work. Like even just memorizing the lines is, is enough. So understanding the complexities of prior was super important to me. Um, so I just worked really hard for months to try to honor what, uh, what that experience was. Prior's visions float between hallucinations, dreams, and the physical world as he grapples with being a prophet. Is there a key to maintaining a sense of what's real and what's not? Um, well, that was really a discussion with Craig kind of even before we started rehearsing, but we, and I, I felt like I, I wanted to portray it this way too. I feel like the visions have to be real. Um, uh, just as real as Lewis, you know, leaving prior, just as real as the diagnosis. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like we approached it as if it was real. And um, if that were to happen, if if those, if those an angel crashing through your bedroom ceiling was to really happen, you know, um, that's a lot to grapple with on top of abandonment, on top of being HIV positive. So, um, yeah, I, I just tried to make it as if there was no question that angel was real. She was crashed through my uh, through my ceiling and um presenting this prophecy and the responsibility of what that is and the the wanting to reject it and wanting to understand it um which allowed me to feel like a nice drive i love part two because prior has such purpose so keeping it really real and making that decision i felt like gave me such a good sense of like needing to find out what the hell is happening because part one is, is, you know, grappling with the loss of Lewis. It's, it's grappling with, um, handling some, uh, such a big life change alone. Um, and, uh, so going into part two and making that choice gave a nice drive to be like, okay, F the sadness. Like, what is this? What can I do? How can it help me? Um, which was really nice <laughs> because it can get pretty sad doing this play. But um, ending, uh, making that choice was really helpful. Can you tell us a little bit more about working with Craig and some of the other important conversations you had with him and developing your interpretation of Pryor? Totally. The great thing about Craig was um, he's just so open. He's a, an incredibly vulnerable uh, person, an artist. and um, 
he has a lot of guts and um it was his first time directing so he he there's other directors I've worked with who aren't as collaborative but it was an incredibly collaborative room and he really um was open to how much research I'd done and how much um preparation I'd done um and we just really got along really well it was a great platform from the very beginning to just leap in and try to make prior as real as possible um yeah i really love him i i have a lot of respect for how much ambition he has as well because this is not an easy piece to tackle and he hired some incredible people to do it and i think he did a really really good job in terms of like directing his first big production i'm incredibly proud of him um, and you mentioned that you did a lot of AIDS research. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, portraying Pryor's growing illness and how you physicalized the as that aspect of the play? Mm -hmm. um, I, I uh, read some incredible books. Uh, first of all, I did research on, on people who played Pryor prior to me, <laughs> um, like Damien and... Um, and uh the i forget his name but he just played it in washington um at the arena stage part one and then steven spinella and there's a lot of uh great interviews with these people who gave recommendations in terms of what they read and i'm not so bold to be like i'm gonna do everything my way i'm like okay what a great resource um so i of course I dove into and the band played on. Um, I dove into uh, with a borrowed time, which was um, a a firsthand account by a uh, man who is now deceased, but him and his partner discovering that they're both HIV positive, and it's pretty detailed in terms of what happens to them physically. Um, so I just really tried to lay the groundwork of understanding pneumocystis, which is the attack on your lungs and what that would feel like. Um, the understanding of uh, swollen lymph nodes and what that pain is like, um, incorporating that subtly in moments and then letting it build into where, you know, I can barely walk. I just tried to be really practical about the approach because I wanted to, um, make sure that if anyone, Buddies is a small space. It's, we don't have the grand scope of a proscenium. So people who lived with this disease, who came to see our show, they're right there beside me. And doing it at Buddies, it's, that's their space. They help create this space. So I just wanted to make sure that, that they weren't seeing a caricature, that like I was incorporating a real experience. Um, uh, and that could be also traumatizing at times, you know, the breath work of understanding what pneumocystis is and grasping for air. Uh, I just tried to make it as honest as possible for better and for worse. It could be hard at times, <laughs> but you know, um, I thought it was really important. I thought it was really important. So this kind of was my approach to, um, to making it work. Cause I didn't want people to feel like I was, uh, being insincere in my portrayal of a very real experience that people went through.
And tell us a little bit about working with some of the other actors, especially those playing Pryor's key relationships, Louis Belize and Hannah. Oh my gosh. You know, uh, I'm really lucky to have worked with the entire cast. Um, I've been fans of theirs for a long time. I'm quite a bit younger than everybody. Um, so, which is surprising because they all look so dang young. Um, they really do. Uh, but I grew up, I went to theater school watching um, Ben at Shaw. And uh, knowing that Brenda Bazinet was, you know, one of the most sought after teachers and this iconic actor, um, specifically from her time doing the George F. Walker plays in the 90s, which I love. I love those pieces. Um, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Caleb's work from Harry Potter um, to their solo show with Obsidian. So I was just like, oh my gosh, I just couldn't believe I got to be in the same room as these actors. Um, uh, but they're all incredibly kind and their egos are out the door and they're about the work. And um, I was just really grateful to develop relationships with them and love them so much in my personal life. So uh, I felt like that bled onto our work on stage. We got to make uh, these um, these relationships uh, very real and very deep moment to moment with each other because there's a lot of trust. We also had nine weeks of rehearsal. So I had like the first week and a half to, to be like, oh my God, what flipping room am I in right now? Like, am I deserving to be here? You know, I didn't feel like that at all because everyone was just so open. Um, and some of my favorite onstage moments of all time are with those people. Like uh, when Belize holds prior for the first time and it's prior's first time being touched since their diagnosis really by a stranger when when Belize rubs Pryor's back, I was like, oh my God, like Caleb was just so generous that it felt really real. I felt really supported. And um, in that scene where uh, Brenda and I are in the hospital waiting room, we just kind of dove in and the connection was real. And, and I was so grateful to be held by these actors because living prior day by day, even imaginatively, it can be pretty harrowing. It can be pretty daunting. So those moments where you can be upheld by by your fellow actor and just try to do the same, um, it, I feel like it made those moments really real. There's some moments where I'd be on stage with Brenda and we'd finish that scene. I'd just look her in the eye and I'd, I'd be like, holy crap, I'm so grateful to be here with you every day. I was so grateful to be on stage with someone who was that generous and kind and loving. And I felt so loved um, that it made my job. The, those days where you're so tired, you know, and you're like, oh, my gosh, just like one more hour, one more hour. Um, not wishing it away, but understanding that it is a beast and it's really physically taxing. Those moments with those actors made it just so worth it because we were so in it together. Um, and Ben is just so cute and I loved him so much in part one. And then like, he was so open to play, like, and I'm a bit of a weirdo. So like part two, I'd be like, 
glaring at him <laughs> from across the green room, just like, uh, <laughs> with still so full of love, and he's just on the ride. And he's so, he's just such a great actor. I loved loving him, and I loved telling him off. <laughs> um, so did you have any coping mechanisms that you developed to help you with the, the stamina and also the emotional toll that t- playing prior took? Uh, I have a very loving partner in my real life (laughs) who, when we closed, he was probably really happy (laughs) because, you know, um, it's a role where like, I am a queer person and I, I have the instincts I have. And a lot of my own vulnerability and heart was left on that stage. Um, and it's a long time to be inside of that part you know, eight hours a day. And then even between shows, you don't really have enough time to disassociate. But um, yeah, I just try to take care of myself. I just go home. I'd listen to music that I loved. Um, I I tried to watch TV that I thought would like bring me out of it, but it was almost like I was like living in a a narrative world that was too dense that I couldn't watch anything that was narrative. (laughs) I was like, nope, no good TV. I watched like trash reality TV, just something just mindless. That's why they make Below Deck. Yeah, exactly. Like literally, I was like, okay, I'm laying here and I am, I just can't care. Um, And I, you know, I'm a very active person. I, I, I exercise a lot, but I was like understanding like, there's only so much I can expend. There's only so much of myself I can give to the world. So um, it was just a matter of like being patient with myself and, um, and saving uh, my energy to tell that truth. Cause we only had so much time. We only really had like a four week run. Um, so I wanted to make the most out of being as honest uh and uh, as I could, and that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of um, focus physically and mentally. So I just tried to take care of myself and and be as numb as possible when I could be. <laughs> um, what do you hope audiences took away from Angels in America? Oh, gosh. You know, I spoke to a lot of audience members who would wait, and a lot of them were really young. Um, and it was their first time encountering the piece and it was their first time kind of grappling with the, um, with the reality of HIV and AIDS that they did not live through at that time, at that specific time. And, um, seeing them feel more connected to the queer community that came before them through watching this story and through watching it with people who lived it, um, mattered the most to me. The fact that I've, um, actually, I I can show you, I was given this beautiful um, piece of art by a man who I did not, I think I I did not get to meet him. He was too shy, but he was in his 60s and lived through it. And he made a collage of different angels across the United States. This man, he uh, wrote a letter just talking about his time and the friends he's lost and just how much seeing Pryor's story um at buddies meant to him so having two generations of people reach out in terms of the ways they'd been touched by by watching the play and watching prior's journey um the fact that they could connect and experience that together and that this story uh could be this bridge 
that I could be this bridge for them um, meant so much to me. Because I do feel like I'm in this place where I'm kind of between, you know, I'm in my 30s. I have a lot of friends who are younger. I have a lot of friends who are older. Um, so feeling a connection, um, uh, closing that gap between the two generations meant so much to me. It was part of the reason why I wanted to do this piece. Um, and actually seeing that happen. I mean, that's what being an artist is about. And it makes it way easier because it's not about me. It's about who is watching it and what they make, what they might get from it. So um, having had that experience, it's it's really changed my life as a performer. Um, so now is when you have an opportunity to plug anything you have coming up or your socials or anything you want to shout out, anything like that. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, uh, this week I start rehearsals for Coal Mine Theater's Dion, a rock opera directed by Peter Hinton. I'm playing uh, a pretty evil king, um, King Pentheus, uh, who might be a little queer. I can't really tell you. Might be a little twist, but it's about, um, it's an adaptation of, uh, about uh, Dionysus, the, um, the non-binary um god of wine and travel and i think sex um so i'm jumping in head first to that it's fully sung it's a really kick-ass cast with carly street um sate jacob mcginnis just some incredible people um so we run february 4th until i believe march 3rd with a, a possible extension and uh yeah that's all i've got to plug for right now and do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, just, I would like to tell the queer community that I love them so much and that I'm so happy we got to connect over, over this story. And I'm really grateful to Craig and the entire cast. And, um, and I'm proud of them. And I'm proud of the work that we did because it was, it was a lot of hard work and it took a lot of grit and truth and heart. And um, uh, we really love each other. And I want to thank you for this interview and for the nomination. That's really sweet. I appreciate it. It was a huge surprise. And I'm up against like some incredible people who are telling similar stories. So um, I am just so proud to be in their company. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to check out the website, myentertainmentworld.ca for all of our coverage and the entire nominee interview series, both podcast, audio versions, and we have a bunch in print for you this year. So make sure you don't miss anything from the series as well as our other podcast series that are happening all the time. So make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at myentworld, my ENT world on both X and Instagram, as well as myentertainmentworld on Facebook. Uh, thanks again.